Awesome. Thank you, uh, Aaron, once again for leading us today. Uh, well, good morning and welcome once again. If I happen to have missed you earlier, my name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at Downtown Community. And today, uh, just, uh, coming out of Easter, uh, I just want to take an opportunity to have a, a conversation that feels so important, uh, especially for us here in the city, and uh, just talking about uh, how we really engage our life and uh, this, this, this principle that we come into contact with. And I've, I've taught of this uh, in the past. It's been a while uh, but there's this tension that we have between surrender and control, and control being like the big word here. Uh, and so this is an important thing for us to learn, especially as, as if you're a Christ follower, we're learning to trust God and to know that he, uh, we can trust Him and engage Him with our lives. But this isn't easy because... Because we like to control things. Like, we're good at that, you know, like, and, and I don't, you may not be like a control freak, uh, but uh, all of us like to be in control of something, all right? There's something that you have, and, uh, and if you have a significant other today, uh, maybe you're like, that's with you, or like, you're wanting to raise their hand, you're like, yeah, they have control. If you want to do that, like, you have a control problem, probably, uh, <laughs> all right? So, but this is for all of us. So, like, in our house, like, I, I know it's stereotypical, but I love the remote control watching TV. Like, it's really hard for me to be like, all right, all right okay, maybe, maybe you'll be okay. Like, it's, 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 it's an issue. You can pray for me. Uh, I love to be in the driver's seat, the car, lit the literal driver's seat. Uh, and so, but, you know, my wife, Erin, she doesn't really care about that that much. But, like, uh, but for her, like, she is like chef extraordinaire and is all into that and this, even the science of cooking. She watches things about that. She's reading about it. And uh, I, I mean, I like food, okay, and so I'm good with that, uh, but I'm not the best of cooks uh, or whatever you want to call that. And uh, so it's actually very helpful for my family to not be involved. I don't think Aaron actually wants me involved with that that much. And so for her, that's the big thing. It's funny. I have a good friend. Uh, he's a chef, and he's actually uh, uh, really good at it. He's, he's appeared on some TV shows every now and then. And, and uh, he lives here in the city, and he and his wife came over uh, a couple years ago just to hang out. And, uh, and he and Aaron, like, talk constantly. Like, he was, it was fascinating. I mean, she was worried about him coming over at first because this is somebody who really knows what they're doing. But, like, they, they, like, they were kindred spirits with it. And so for me... She, she's all in control of that, and I'm good. It's great. Like, I benefit from that. And so, but we have all have different areas uh, where if I get involved, she's like, what are you doing? Get out of it. And so, and so, anyway, but we all have something that we need to control. And, and so, you know, that's fun to talk about. There's, there's fun things like that. But there's, there's some interesting issues with this, right? And, and so when you dig down deep enough, there's really, it's a reflection of a bigger spiritual problem. And it's this, is we're trying to be like God. We're, we're trying to be like God. And so what does it look like to trust him uh, with things that are important for us? Uh, this is not as easy as it sounds. Because I'll say to you, I'm a pastor, and we talk about faith. You should trust God, like have faith in Him. Like, okay. Uh, and we want to for the things that, you know, we can't control that much. But for the things you can, that's harder. That's harder. And what's really happening is we, we will we'll create chaos for our lives in this. And so we kind of need to be confronted with that to learn to surrender. Because this is what God is asking us to do. And we need to learn to do this. It's very important in our lives. So 
What does it mean to live a life following God and surrender Him? Choosing surrender over control. Well, let's read this. This is found in Proverbs, and I love this verse, and I love reading in Proverbs. I, I love reading from Solomon. Solomon is the one who's writing the book of Proverbs, and uh, God gave Solomon incredible wisdom, and it's so impactful. Like, if you read it today, you don't even have to believe in God. You read Solomon's writings, and it blows you away, his wisdom. If you're somebody who's really getting after it in life, you should, I mean, this is honestly true for all of us, but I think for here in the city, um, it's important to read these things. I think if you read Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, it's really, because he's someone who has been the pinnacle of success and thought about it very, very deeply. And we need to learn from the wisdom that he has given us. And so he writes this in the Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is a very well-known scripture passage. He says, he, says, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is from someone who had a lot of understanding, okay? So we just need to understand the perspective. Because uh, uh, some, like, some of you are really smart. <laughs> and you know a lot about everything. Or you think you know a lot about everything, right? Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. He says, in all your ways... Now, some of the things say acknowledge him, but the real translation here is in all your ways submit to him. Now, submit is a dangerous word because, because it means that I need you. I am deferring to you. In all your ways submit to him, to God, and he will make your path straight. He's the one that, that made the curves and can undo them. He's the only one. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. That sounds great. Maybe your grandmother put that on a plaque and put it in the wall, and she put it on the, like as you came into the house, and, uh, you know, so like, you know, like that sounds really good, but we're really bad at like actually putting that into action. I'm included in that, okay? So like in all your ways, God's always saying in all your ways, in all your, like I'm a, I'm a pastor and like, and so my job is kind of centered around trusting God to do things, but then I, I turn it into what I can do. And, I, and I'm learning. God is continually working on my heart to learn to trust Him more and more. And so what makes me not want to trust Him? Well, I want to control the outcome. I want to control the growth. I want to control this to make things happen the way I want them to. And so that can be good in the sense of you're like, hey, I just want to make sure everybody's okay. I want to make sure that every detail is happening. Or you might not even be in the details. I just want to make sure this happens in a way that's helpful for everybody. Like we have good reasoning to be responsible and engage in things. But here's where control begins to hurt us. The more that we try to control, this is a principle here. The more that we try to control, the more that you're afraid of losing control. Because the more that you get a handle on everything that's possible, the more it becomes at stake. You know what I'm saying? Some of you know this. Some of you maybe have stepped into a managerial role or you're leading a, a bigger team. And, and so the more responsibility you have, the more is at stake of what you could lose. And so you become, over time, more aware of details. And so we're more afraid of losing 
control. And then the more we're afraid, the more we try to control. The more you're afraid, the more that you try to control this. And it becomes a cycle of fear. It becomes a cycle. The more you try to control, the more you're afraid of losing control. And the more that you're afraid, the more you're trying to, and you just kind of constantly chase this. And you may not even realize this begins to happen in your lives, but there's some things that are so powerful for you that you have such a high you know, expect, expectation of that, and it goes really beyond that. It's, it's so crucial to your identity. It's so crucial to who you are. If you lose that, you're devastated. You're crushed. You will hit rock bottom. And there is a fear. There's a fear. And, and, and it's a natural instinct. We want to protect that. And to surrender that, to practice that, could bring anxiety. Could bring anxiety. But what we don't realize is it's actually leading us into more anxiety. And we have this cycle of fear. And so we need to be considering this. You need to think about this. And God is inviting you in to surrender it to him. To surrender it to him. And so really, the story of God, he's been constantly showing us and this, this, this continual thread of us being like, no way, <laughs> I can't trust you with that. And then seeing the consequences of that and then him stepping in and saying, no, I will be faithful. He's been showing us over and over again that you can trust me. You can trust me. You can engage me with this. You can invite me in. And, we're, and, and then, so we have this story with all these examples that are very helpful to us. And so what I want to do today is, is go through a couple of these examples. And I love going back to the Old Testament scriptures. There's all these scriptures that are leading up to when Jesus came. And this whole story that God was weaving into us, pointing to Christ... And we have all these amazing interactions with God was leading people, and he has all this for us. And so it's what the Old Testament is so helpful for us, is to see God as faithful. God as faithful. But I want to look at where control goes bad, okay? So we have a lot of examples. Like, we're all broken in some way or another, and so we think, like, the Scriptures should be some example of all these noble, godly people. No, we have these, these, these pictures of very broken people that God... Loved and still used anyway, and forgave and redeemed. And so let's look at an example of control gone bad. We have Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, God began to engage them in our brokenness. It's where God started this work of redemption. We walked away from God and brought in sin and brokenness that's, that's still with us today in a significant way. But God didn't leave us there. He came and engaged us. So he started with Abraham and he made Abraham and Sarah a promise that he was going to bless them. And he said, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations, which came true still today. He says, the world would be blessed through you. I was like, wow, that's awesome. And God came and told him this. This is incredible. And he believed him. And God credited it to him as righteous to have the faith to believe that. And it's an incredible story. It's, it's, it's how God started in our faith. But they didn't keep holding on to that faith. And that's another beauty of this is they, they weren't faithful. But God's promise was not based on Abraham. It was based upon God. 
He said, I alone will continue to be faithful whether you are or not. And that's incredible. Uh, but they, he said this to him, but they were barren. Sarah could not have children. And they were beginning to get very old, okay? And so they're just kind of freaking out a little bit. And they kind of just entered into the customs of the time and found a way so they to take control. So here, let's engage. This is found in Genesis 16. Now it says, now Sarah, Abram's wife. So at one point, God named them Sarah and Abraham after this. So they were originally known as Sarah and Abram. There you go. Uh, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. I love this. We blame it on God. So this is how we rationale. God, you've done this against me. Okay. So she says, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So this is them saying like, you know what, God, whatever. Like we, we can do this our own way. So Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah and his wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his Wife. Now, this is something that would have been a, a part of cult, culture and customs in the region at the time if somebody had been barren. And so this is what they do. It says, he slept with Hagar and she conceived. Pretty crazy scenario. The Bible has very interesting stories, just so you know. You should read it sometime. But little did they know, this is a world changing event that still impacts us today. Maybe some of you kind of know this in the historical perspective. But through Hagar, there was a a family lineage that was developed through Ishmael, her first son. Eventually, Sarah gives birth, just as God promised, to Isaac. And these two family lines that come out become enemies. And we've traced, these genealogies are traced to a T even to today, and both of these families is still warring today in our world. It continues. Two different religions came out of this and fight against one another. Isn't that interesting? There's, talk about there's consequences to our actions. There's, in, the, in the Bible, there's a principle of sowing and reaping. Like you don't just plant a seed of corn. You, you plant a seed of corn and get, get 80, 100 times fold. The same is, is true of us. You plant something, you never know the consequence that can come out of this. And that's what we've seen in our world today. It's amazing. They had no idea. But they were impatient and pursued this. So chaos ensued for centuries upon centuries. So we, I like to look at this and be like, yeah, they should have known better. Hindsight's so helpful. I don't know if you've heard that before. <laughs> but we do this too. We want to take control. We can't wait. And this, this becomes into play when it comes to the outcome that we're looking for. This is all about the end product. Is what drives us to do everything that we do and any decision that you make. So we can't wait. And so we settle and we dictate the circumstances. And we do this every imaginable way. In relationships, we rush it, we push it, we like, God, I don't trust you in this, or we just like, I'll never find somebody in this way. And so we compromise in relationships, or we do very destructive things out of our hurt and our pain. 
and our loneliness and, 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 and the tiredness of our lives, all this. We, we, we make debt issues. We have financial problems. And we, maybe we come into more money and we just, it's still not enough. And so we find ways to leverage that. We get ahead of ourselves financially. Or we just fight for every inch of anything we possibly can. We're kind of surrounded by this urgency to consume. And I know that you feel this in your jobs. I talked to so many of you where you're working on a project and they're like, just push through this and we'll be okay. And you get to this pinnacle, you achieve a goal or something has happened. And then immediately people turn around and say, you know what? There's other things there. We got to get after this. We just can't lose this. And that never ends. And you always have this pressure to get every inch. We're fighting for everything. We do this as parents. We compromise with our children or we push and we push. So we're so worried about what will happen. And so that out of future expectations for education or whatever it may be, we're trying to control the outcomes. There's physical issues. There's emotional hurt and pain. It's hard for us to trust God. And this is not saying, this is not saying in judgment. I just wanted you to look at this and say, we're not alone, all right? God understands this too, and you'll see as he steps in. But we want to control the outcome. I want to control the growth of the church. I want to control the outcomes that I'm pursuing. And that ultimately leads me to anxiety. So God wants us to learn to trust Him and to depend upon Him for the circumstances of our life. He cares about this. He cares about you. And I think we're, I would say many of you would step forward and say, just like I always say this, I want to have amazing faith. <laughs> I want to I say that I'm the person that stepped in and trusted Him and said, yeah, you've got this. And sometimes I do. And sometimes I fail. Many times I do respond in fear. In fact, I talked about how the more you have at stake, the more that you know that you could lose. And I have watched myself step into a cycle of fear. And I actually saw that come out. There are things that were buried deep in me. As I began to be a lead pastor, recently we celebrated seven years as a church here at Downtown Community Church. And that was really exciting. This is the first time I've been a what we call a lead pastor, a church planter. I've been on church staffs for years and years and years and serving as a minister in some capacity. But it's a lot different standing in that kind of role. And the more that in the beginning it was beautiful because I was naive to what I should know or shouldn't know. And I was just living in faith. But as I began to get a grasp on things more and more, there are more details that I knew to look for. There are metrics I knew to be thinking. There's, there's, there's things. And so the more that I observed them, my identity began to be attached to these things, the success of them. And it's easy for me to drift into fear when something doesn't happen. And I say that to you because we all do this. Many times I respond in fear. And so crazy things come up like COVID and it throws our world in chaos. And then we finally get through that in some kind of way. And then you've got Omicron and then there's BA2 and something else is going to come. And there's like, but, but I know for me personally, I've got middle schoolers now. That's a really interesting perspective. One's in the room right now. So uh, there you go. But like when they're toddlers, it's great because they, they, they only want to be at your leg. All right. So you can control that. You know where they are. 
You can't necessarily control their attitudes. The parents of toddlers in here, you're like, I can't control them, but you, you have them physically. You can strap them into a stroller. You can strap them into stuff, all right? You can control how that's going, all right? You can strap them to yourself, and like some parents put the leash on them, and we don't say a thing about it. I know it's like, so, you know, you can control that, but middle schoolers, like, we start attaching phones to them, all right? And then, like, we send them into the world, and, like, there's less and less that I can control, and that gets, I got to have faith, and, like, how do you engage that? That's harder. If you're an experienced parent in here, you're like, just wait. And I get that. I know. I know. I'm, read, I'm reading, okay? I'm trying to, how can I control this more? Like, how much, you know, how can I get deep state in my kids and get as many, you know, so... Many times I respond in fear. We're trying to control the outcome. So let me tell you the second story here. The second story is from Elijah. And I love this because Elijah was known as a prophet. God had ordained him as a prophet. And he was a very godly man. And God was using him in extraordinary ways. Like extraordinary ways. So here's someone experiencing God in a phenomenal way. Seeing him at work. There's a couple of events that happen leading up to what I'm about to read. One is a well-known thing where, uh, a well-known story, if you've, if you've been around, where he confronts the prophets of Baal in, in the nation of Israel. And, and so they had kind of led the people astray and doing awful things. And so this was against what God had commanded. And so he confronts these prophets. There's, there's tons and tons of them. And he essentially challenges them. He challenges them to a God-off. All right, I, it's, I just made that up. I'm sorry. It's just, uh, but <laughs> he's like, all right, let's build an altar. We'll put a big animal to be consumed on top. And, uh, and whoever's got a real God, God, their God will answer them and, and consume this from heaven. So that's what he challenged them to do. And so they went first, and there's hundreds of them, I think. And they prayed, and they, for days and days, they're cutting themselves, doing all these rituals, begging their gods. And, and I love this. Elijah started mocking them. I love the, he's so confident. He's like, oh, maybe your God's asleep. I'm serious. What he says is, is, is in the story in scripture. And then he's like, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Like, like he's sitting, that's just like totally going after it. I, I mean, maybe the worst words than that. I can't say that. But anyway, but he's like literally taunting him in this kind of way. And finally, he's like, all right, you've had enough. And then he steps up, he digs a trench, and they pour, you know, barrels and barrels and barrels of water all over it. He just ups the ante, and he begins to pray to our living God, and God consumes the altar in fire. Consumes it in fire in in an unbelievable way, totally. Not just the sacrificial animal, but everything. And so God is visibly at work, and then there's like a drought that that was there, and and Elijah prays, and, and God sends rain to end this drought. And so God is just like obvious. All right, so this is what happens right after this, all these things. This is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so these, these people that have been perpetrating all this evil in this land, he puts them to death as if God has commanded him. And so Ahab and Jezebel were king and queen. And Ahab was king by title. Jezebel was really ruling she was the queen, and, uh, and so Ahab is essentially the messenger in this scenario. Tells him everything that had happened. These were her prophets, 
her people. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Okay. So God, and Elijah's seen God work. God has answered his prayer. He's delivered him from, from these prophets, all this different thing. So the queen threatens him. I'm thinking, you know what? This is all right. And when her threat, by the way, is real, <laughs> she's actually going to come and kill him, not like something that she's coming to. And so what is his response? After seeing all of these things, here's Elijah's response. Elijah was afraid. He was afraid. It just doesn't seem possible. Like I would be feeling, he was very confident before. It's fascinating. Not only that, it says he was afraid and he ran for his life. He runs away. He runs as far as he can. He finds a shade under a tree. He gives like a day or so. Like it, it get, gets, gets away. And what's beautiful about the scenario is, is, is in, in, in this, he's, he's really mad at God. We're going to find out. He's mad at God. Because he wanted a different outcome. You're like, how could you be afraid for the queen who's coming at your life when God's just visibly worked? I think we're going to trust him. But he's honestly mad at God because he's obviously afraid. But he was expecting a different outcome. He did all of this, and you're thinking the whole nation's going to be like, we're sorry, we're done. And then the queen and queen are like, oh my goodness. No, she doubles down. <laughs> she doubles down. They don't, they don't act in fear, and he is... And so then he's, a, he's afraid, and all these emotions are happening. He runs away. So how does God respond? Well, God comes to him and ministers to him. He ministers to him. It, says, it literally says that God sends an angel to give him food, to tell him to rest and to sleep. And I love that. He's running in fear. He's not trusting God. And God instead loves him and understands his brokenness. For Abraham and Sarah, God didn't end his promise to them. There were consequences of the action, but he still was faithful and engaged. And the same happened with Elijah. So Elijah was strengthened, and he went on a 40-day journey, essentially a retreat away. And God meets him in this moment, and he says to him, and this is when he begins to speak to him. He says to them, he says to him and this is found in verse 13, he says, What are you doing here, Elijah? God said, like Elijah, <laughs> you're really far away. What are you doing here? And he's like, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. He's like, I've been getting after it, God. I love his response. He's, very, he's, like, he's like, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He's like, I'm the only one, God. I did all this for you. I did all these different things. So we see, he's like, I did all this, and then and then now they still want to take my life. And, and this is this is me, by the way. <laughs> I, I go out to God, I was like, God, and I just ignore every visible thing and, and all these things that I have. I ignore the fact that I live in such a blessed part of the world. 
in everything that God has done. There's so much good in my life. And one little thing happens, we're like, oh, that's it. I'm the only one. God doesn't care about me. Where are you, God? This is how we are. We're like little kids. That's what he's doing here. He's like, I'm the only one left. And God steps in. And he says, go back. But he doesn't, I think we expect God to be like, I'm going to, you know, what are you doing? Go back and strike, you know, like, he says, all right. God says, he goes, he tells them, this is in verse 19, he tells them all of these things, he gives them a plan. He gives them a plan for people to pursue, leaders that are there waiting for them to go back. He's like, I'm going to put a new king and queen in place. You can trust me with this. And then he says, he goes, he goes yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth has not kissed him. God lets him know. There are, he goes, you're not, only, you're not alone. There are 7,000 people that have never even bowed. You just don't know. We're, he's looking at all the circumstances. We're trying to control the outcomes. And sometimes the outcome doesn't look like we wanted it to. And I want to say it's hard. Like, it's, there's, there's a devastating emotions that, that come when our, the thing that we've put up to be our identity or our idol, when it doesn't happen. And if that falls, it's hard. I understand. And I love this picture of God because he wants to lean in. He wants to lean in. He, he, he's not afraid to engage and love us. And then says, you can get back up now. Trust me. So how do we do that? How do we learn to trust God? So I'm going to give you three simple things. This is what we'll end with. But as you lead your life, is it worth my concern? We need, you need to think about your life. When you think about what you see you're controlling, what's bringing you anxiety, whenever that's happening, think about it deeply. Is it worth my concern? What this means is what can I let go? <laughs> this is hard. Are the, are the towels folded just right? Is your kid's, kid's outfit for the morning? Does it match? They picked it themselves? Okay, go for it. You know, you go, there's trash in your car. I don't know what, you know, like, there's things happening. There's what in your jobs or people that you lead or whatever it may be. Is it worth my concern? Can you let it go? There's certain things you can learn to let go. You need to be purposeful about this and identify it. Is it worth my concern? And then, is it mine to control? So there are things that are your responsibility. Now, this isn't a license to control things. I, we need to put this in the lens of what are you responsible to do? Surrendering control is not just relinquishing responsibility. Some of you are like, I'm ready to, all right, God, it's all yours. You know, there's this really awful phrase in the church that says, let go and let God. Like, we're like, all right. Like, and then we just, like, no, no, there's no excuse to relinquish responsibility. I don't think that's too many of our, like, the issues that we have here in this city. But there are some things that God won't do for you, and we're responsible. What are actions that he's given you? Responsibility really is trusting him. He, in, his, in his purpose for us, he's sent us out. He's given you gifts and ability and put you in a city, around people, in a job to be purposeful. So responsibility is trust. But it's different than control. Well, how do we see the difference? The difference is in how we view the outcome. Are you trying to control the outcome? Are you being faithful to what you can do and trust Him with the outcome? 
most likely you can't control the outcome. When it comes to God, obedience is my responsibility. Outcome is God's. Obedience is my responsibility. Outcome is God's. So is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? And then is it for God alone? Is it for God alone? Where we let him, where we, we put things at his feet, we recognize what you can't control. In Philippians, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you and I run into a place where we cannot control anymore, we become anxious. <laughs> We're learning to give it to God. Now this, at the beginning, it will be an, a, a lesson in anxiety. Letting go does, can bring anxiety at the beginning. But God is longing to lead you into freedom. To say, you know what? I recognize I actually can't control the outcome. But in every situation, every situation, we pray. This is why we need to learn to have rhythms to engage God. We pray to him with thanksgiving. We come to him. This is engaging that relationship. Jesus said it this way, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I want you to learn to take a small step in trusting God. What are the choices you're making? How can you begin to bring him in? Let's go back to Proverbs, Solomon's words to us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Obedience is my responsibility. Outcome is God's. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. And God, we know that your life, your resurrection, gives us confidence in all of this. God, I believe today that some of us are struggling with outcomes that are very hard. I, if I don't believe that, I know that. And God, I just want to say out loud to those that are experiencing that I'm so sorry that you have experienced these things. I pray for those of you that feel that today. I pray that you would know that you have a God who cares and has experienced devastation greater than we can imagine. And we can go to him. I pray for comfort to those. That they would lean upon you. I pray today for those of us who are living in a cycle of anxiety and fear. God, I... Our world pushes us to this. I pray that we would learn to rest in your grace and your forgiveness. I pray that we would learn the beauty of surrender. May we be an example to those that we live around that there's a better way to live. We thank you and we trust this and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.